Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a daily program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. We're working our way through the two-year version of the RMM Scripture Reading Plan, and I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 18. Let's get right into the text. Jesus has prepared the disciples. He has prayed for the disciples. And now his hour has come. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. We know this garden, of course, from the Synoptic Gospels, as the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I've always been fascinated by that reaction. I don't know whether they all fell to the ground or just some. John isn't that specific. But what is clear is that there were some people in that crowd who harbored suspicions that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Look at who John says was part of this mob sent to arrest Jesus. There was Judas Iscariot, of course, and then there were soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. And I wonder if it was these last, the officers of the Sanhedrin, who were experiencing some doubts and second thoughts. The last time we met them in John's gospel, they certainly were. In John 7, the Sanhedrin had sent these officers, their special police force, as it were, to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't do it. They listened to him teach, and they couldn't bring themselves to arrest him. And John tells us that they were severely rebuked for their negligence. John 7, 45-49 says, The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Clearly, there were many among this group, the Sanhedrin police force, who were suspicious of the Sanhedrin's motivation for wanting to do away with Jesus. Clearly, there were some who suspected that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, which is why the Sanhedrin sent them, this time buttressed with soldiers. And it wasn't just one or two soldiers. The Greek word John uses, spiran, means a cohort of soldiers. So this could be anywhere from 200 to 480 Roman 
soldiers. This was a mob, and the soldiers were sent in order to stiffen the resolve of the Sanhedrin police. And that's interesting. And it reminds me that it is hard to hold your convictions in a crowd. The Sanhedrin police, in the end, did not have the courage of their convictions. When Jesus said, I am he, using the Greek words, ego eimi, the same words God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, these men fell to the ground as if to worship. But then they remembered themselves, and they remembered that they were not alone, and that their actions would be reported to their superiors, and so they stood up, and they did their wicked duty. It is hard to stand with Jesus against the world. These men are in conflict. Verse 7. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here we see the purpose of Jesus and the passion of Peter. Say what you like about Peter, but the man had passion. We talk about Peter's betrayal, but he is the only one who attempts to defend Jesus. Wrongly and stupidly, yes. But he attempts it, and he follows Jesus, even though eventually under pressure he will crack. Apart from the Holy Spirit, and until we really understand we are powerless against the enemies of fear and oppression and censure. Peter, at the end of the day, has no more courage than the officers sent to arrest them. Jesus, on the other hand, is resolved to fulfill his mission. He will drink the cup that the Father has given me. See that again. This is the cup that the Father has given me. That's what Jesus says. God ordained the cross. Don't ever let anyone tell you different. Verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, modern readers sometimes find these verses complicated because it almost makes it sound like there were two high priests. And in a sense, there were. The Romans appointed and replaced high priests, partly as a way to express their control, and then partly as a way to distribute authority more broadly. But the Jewish people regarded the high priesthood as a lifetime office. Therefore, in a sense, there were two high priests. The one the Romans had appointed and the one the Jews still considered legitimate. And they were both involved in the trial of Jesus. Verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. 
Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. Church history has generally identified this other disciple as the Apostle John, the beloved disciple and author of this gospel. That he was known to the high priest suggests that his family was fairly well off and fairly well connected. The Jesus movement did not draw exclusively from the lower classes, as is sometimes suggested. Paul came from a wealthy and well-connected family, and here we see that John likely did too. He was able to get inside Annas' house and thereby to get Peter inside as well. Verse 16 continues. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Notice that the soldiers are no longer present. Having delivered Jesus to Annas, they have now returned to their barracks. Verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Notice that Jesus says that he spoke openly and in the light. I'm always nervous about people who always want what they say to be kept off the record. The mark of a true shepherd is that he speaks openly and transparently. Verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Just as the Lord had predicted, Peter has betrayed him three times in a single evening. The same man who wielded a sword against the soldiers now denies his master before the servants. Such fear there is inside of us, such capacity for bravery and stupidity and cowardice and betrayal. Human beings are wildly complicated, and apart from the Holy Spirit, we are doomed. Verse 28, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but this is the verse that causes all the controversy about the timing of the Passover in John's gospel. Jesus and the disciples have already eaten the Passover, but 
Here, we have religious leaders not wanting to go into Pilate's headquarters lest they become defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So what's going on here? The confusion is largely due to our limited understanding of the Passover festival. It wasn't just one meal. D.A. Carson says here, There is ample evidence that the Passover could refer to the combined feast of the Paschal meal itself plus the ensuing feast of unleavened bread. If then the Jewish authorities wanted to continue full participation in the entire feast, they would have to avoid all ritual contamination. There were other meals ahead, obviously, other aspects of the festival, and the Jewish leaders did not wish to be excluded from any of them. I think that is a very reasonable explanation. Verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus had often spoke about being lifted up. He said in John 12, for example, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Jews, of course, did not use crucifixion for their capital punishment. They used stoning. So for Jesus to die the way he predicted he would die, the Romans would need to pronounce the sentence. And that's why the Jews try to portray Jesus as a threat to Roman security. They don't make a theological argument. Initially, they make a political argument. And Pilate has to take that seriously. Verse 32. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Interestingly, this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus speaks about his own birth. Matthew and Luke, of course, have birth narratives. Mark doesn't have one. And John sort of does. He has the, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God part. But he doesn't speak about the birth of Jesus per se until here. Here, Jesus says that he was born in order to bear witness to the truth and to gather his people through the proclamation of that truth. Thanks be to God. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas 
was a robber. There is terrible irony here in that the name Barabbas literally means son of the father. In fact, his full name seems to have been Jesus Barabbas. Many manuscripts preserve the full name in Matthew 27, 16, and 17. So this man's name was Jesus, son of the father. But he was a robber. He was a thief. The real Jesus, son of the father, was the good shepherd. Remember John had already said, he had recorded Jesus as saying, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but the good shepherd enters through the gate. He comes just as scripture said he would. Are you seeing that? In in an, a statement of terrible irony, Barabbas, in a symbolic sense, stands for all the leaders of the Jews. They are thieves and robbers. Jesus is the good shepherd, and yet... The people prefer the thieves and robbers. This is John returning to a theme that he introduced in his prologue. In John 1, 11 to 13, he said about Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you see that? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the true son of the father. And his real people, his true people, see that, believe that, and are saved. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources, you can find those over at the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope that you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here, for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.